Hello and welcome to After Hours with Astrid Mew. Today we talk to Lauren from Girl vs. Cancer, all about her journey, bravery and creating an online community. Thanks for coming to chat to me today. Thank you for having me. It's a lovely environment. I have to say, I want every single thing I can see in here. Yeah, there are lots of shiny things. Brings mm. out the magpies. Yeah. You're like, I want that. And I can see you've got loads of piercings, actually. Yeah, I love. These are all the little huggies. Yeah. They? I haven't quite committed to getting, um, I forget what the spit's called, the top bit of your ear. conch? One of them. I haven't quite committed to that yet. They look really good, though. I've got a cuff. But yeah. I like it. I'm trying it out for size. Yeah, it looks good. Thanks, bibs. So, we're here to talk to about you and the three, well, obviously there'll be more than three, mm-hmm. pivotal moments in your life that have shaped where you are today. Mm-hmm. So, we have had a previous chat, so we've got a little bit of an outline. Mm-hmm. And we're starting off with, which is a first, mm-hmm. normally people are like, oh, this time that, you know, like something really fluffy. But actually, this is some real stuff. So, mm-hmm. death of two loved ones at the age of 16. Yes. Who was it? So, when I was 16 years old, my uncle became very sick quite quickly. He was 39. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which freaks me out because I'm 34. I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's young. You realise as you get older, you know, 39 seems light years away. when mm-hmm. Not light years? Yeah, well, miles away when you're a kid. But as I get older now, I can appreciate actually how young he was. But yeah. he was very sick. He'd, we always laughed about my Uncle Pete. He was born dead, basically. Oh. They, chucked, they chucked him in a bucket of cold water to bring him back. Oh, wow. Yeah. He fell down a coal cellar, smashed his head open, survived that. And then he got peritonitis, which know. is where your appendix actually bursts and it can oh. poison you. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he was in a coma and came out of that. So his free lives were up, let's be fair. <laughs> yeah. But he'd always had like blood troubles and stuff. So he became quite ill and I can't really remember what it was. I think it was more like liver psoriasis and stuff like that. Mm. But... He was at the hospital next door to my college. So I okay. every lunch break, I'd go and sit with him. And he died really, it was quite quick. By the time I went to hospital, he died, I think it was like two weeks. Oh, wow. And he knew, I think he knew, because he said a couple of things to me and I had no idea and it freaked me out. But that happened and that was a massive moment for me because I think the only death I'd had around me before then was my nan and I was eight. Well, I didn't this is know. It. When you're a little kid, mm. you, grandparents passing away is kind of your only real interaction mm. But obviously someone that you were spending every day with because you were at college, yeah. that's going to have a massive impact yeah. on you. And we're really close anyway. So my uncle lived with my grandparents. We have Irish ancestry, so we were always around each other's houses. Yeah. You know what it's like. Yeah. I'd go to my nan's after college and like just sit and have dinner with her, fall asleep on the sofa every time because I'd be yeah. knackered. <laughs> Something about nan's sofa in it, you just can't help it. Yeah. Just, it'll come for <laughs> it. So when Pete died, it was a massive shock. Mm. It was also my first experience of death, which is scary because you're like, oh my God, no one's infallible, especially someone so young. Mm-hmm. And we were really close. Like, I was in the room shortly after he died. First time I teased anyone, like, who'd passed away or mm. died. We don't say passed away. I'll tell you why later. But someone who died and that whole process of being there with my nan, my mum, grieving her brother, like, yeah. it was a lot. That's life, you know? Mm. But then six months later, a friend of mine was murdered at college. Oh, my God. Not at the college, but a friend I went to college with, one of my best mates at college, was murdered by her father. What? So it was one of the first hashtag, what I'll say is, in, like, air quotes, honour killings in the country that was reported on. It was a lovely girl called Heshu, and it was her father that killed her. Her father? Yeah. That was fucked. Sorry, I'm swearing because no, there's no other no. word. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was horrific. So the age of 16, within six months, I'd had those two experiences of death. So for me, death was premature. It was tragic. Mm. It was a lot. Like, I had panic attacks, everything. Like I'm not surprised. Like mm. you, You don't expect to be faced with immortality at such an age where you're growing and you're supposed to have 
the world yeah. at your feet at the age of 16. Yeah. You're like, you can do anything, you feel invincible, but mm. actually you're just like... I was crippled with anxiety. Oh yeah, God. that's where kind of my health anxiety kicked off really was then. But since then I was terrified I was going to die all yeah. the time. It was crippling. I used to have panic attacks. I end up going to the counsellor at college because of it all. My poor boyfriend at the time, it was my first fella, bless his heart, his name is Alfonso. And oh, he, wow, Fonz. Fonz, the Fonz. The Fonz, he was Fonz. But he was honestly one of the loveliest geezers ever. Mm. And he really did. Like, I wasn't a nightmare, but he had to put up with a lot in terms of my mental health and that I'd be terrified to be on my own ever in case I died on my own. Did you have any support around you? Because you say, obviously, you've got a big Irish supportive mm. family, but I suppose the way that they might deal with death and the way that mm. you would will be quite different. Mm. Was it something that there was any support at college and stuff, especially considering that your friend... Yeah, yeah. I mean, college was amazing because we had a counsellor there and I realised after my friend had died that she used to go and see the counsellor. I had no idea. So me being me, typical me, walked past her office one day and the door was ajar. I just put my head in. I was like, all right, Pauline, how are you getting on? Like checking in on her. (laughs) And she went, I'm doing okay. You all right? And I said, yeah, she went, come in. And she sat down and as soon as she started talking to me, I just burst out crying. I told her everything that had happened and she went, right, we're doing this. Mm. And I started seeing her for like six months and it really did help me. Wow, that's great that that support was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was fantastic. And Mm. that was my first experience of psychological support. You've got Mm. to remember, I'm 34 years old now, I was 16 then. It was a very long time ago. We don't talk about mental health that way back then. We just didn't. No one talked about the support. And my family were incredible, but again, they never talked about it. Mm. So I got into like my mid-20s before actually I kind of had a bit of a mental breakdown and ended up going for counselling again. And it was all this stuff that had been brought up because even though... I had counselling at college. That stuff sticks. Yeah. There's counselling at college mm. and then there's like, but the actual trauma that yeah. you would have gone through or your brain's still developing. And like you say, it shaped the way you viewed the world. Yeah. It will make you wiser and savvier, mm. but it also, it takes away that innocence and that kind of yeah. optimism. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. And I do feel like that. I feel like I've been aware of my mortality way earlier than I probably should have been. Yeah. But that's my path. That is where I am. Yeah. So... It's been health anxiety most of my young adult life, pretty much. Convinced I was going to get sick and die. Or convinced I was going to have an accident and die. Fuck. And then you actually got And then I got sick. Oh, bang. I was like, cruel world, is this the last Morissette song? The irony (laughs) of this? Yeah. But that's life. So for people who are listening who don't know, I had breast cancer at the age of 31. Hmm. I'm not an anomaly here. It does happen Mm -hmm. to a lot of women. I've just got a big gob and talk about it all the time. (laughs) Right. Um... But when it happened, I was like, I knew this was going to happen. It was a really weird moment. But mm. in my head, I in my head, I was like, that split second, I was like, this was going to happen. But I thought I was going to die because I thought that's what cancer did because I didn't know any other th- anything else. Well, this is it. Actually, one of my points was mm. what was your original thoughts of what cancer was versus what the reality is? Because I, I've only ever been around, oh, it's aunts mm. and older mm. people. I don't know anyone in their 30s that's had breast cancer yeah I was the same I knew one other person who had cancer in their 30s and that was my mate who had bowel cancer and she survived mm. she's mm. like six seven years down the line they call it early so very lucky right. which because it normally goes undetected in young people because it's put down to everything else you know yeah but yeah my first initial thoughts was I, I don't want to die and they yeah. were like well we don't think that's going to happen we think we can deal with this and I was like oh and then going through that whole process of going through cancer treatment, facing your mortality, seeing your body just absolutely go to rubble. Mm. You know, I was someone who's terrified of needles, didn't like taking yeah. tablets. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like chucking them all in me, God. I'm like, yeah, stick that in me, stick this in me. It really did bring a lot of my fears and stuff that I had right up in my face. And I had to kind of just deal with them because you don't have a choice. Mm. It's not like when you're kids and you don't want to get your teeth out and you run out of the dentist's office. Yeah. You have to just sit and get this done because you'll die. 
Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I need to just get on with this now. So how but did you... it really just showed me what I was made of. I didn't realise I was resilient until this happened at all. I thought I was yeah. a bit of a wobbly mess. I would be scared, like, literally. Yeah, like, there's so much fear around it. And it is, again, the fear of the unknown because... Yeah. Why would you know the full process unless mm. you were forced to go through it? Mm. But going back to when you actually realised you had cancer, was mm. it just you found a lump? Or I had a couple of shooting pains, I remember, but I never touched my boobs. Mm. It was really weird. I never checked my breasts. I was never shown. My mum was never shown, so she never showed me. We were never told at school. Yeah. No one had said to me, are you checking your breasts? These are my natural breasts sitting here now. They're yeah. tiny. Yeah. So I never really have an emotional attachment to them. They're just there. I don't yeah. really think too much about them. They're just on me. Yeah. They're not part of who I identify with myself. Like, you know, some women are very much about their boobs. I was never that person. Yeah. And I, I'm all I'm, boobs. Yeah. Like, it's literally I'm like... all gob. That's me. <laughs> um, I never checked my boobs, so I didn't know. And when I... One day I got a shooting pain. And I was like, oh, and, I, and then I, t- I was like, oh my God, there's a lump. But it was quite big. And I'm a sisty girl. I'm a Same. sister. <laughs> so, Same. So yeah, I've had endometriosis. I've, en- I've had ovarian cysts. I've had Bartholin cysts, which are in your vagina. Mm. I've had loads. Like I always talk about female stuff because no one does. So yeah. you're in the right place. We love talking about all yeah. that kind of stuff here, don't we? I just assumed it was a cyst and I waited a full menstrual cycle to see if it would go down and it didn't. Yeah, um, okay. And then so, I, yeah. I mean, you know, because yeah. I do get, for my period, because I've got I'm big boobs, and I get like big, mm. painful, lumpy tits for my period, mm. which is just like, yeah. you know, but yeah. like you say, it goes down and yeah. it comes back up. Exactly. And it's knowing what your normal is. And yeah. I didn't know what my normal was because I was never examining. And the thing is, I think I at the time thought when you check your breast, you're checking for cancer and that's not the case. No, it's anything, isn't it? You just it know yourself. Yeah. Think how much time we spend looking in the mirror, right? Yeah. All of us, man, woman, child. You need to know your body. Yeah. And if you know it's something to change, if you're looking at your breasts in the mirror, if you're touching them at the same time every month or like mm-hmm. every couple of weeks, you will know what is normal for yours. Like, you know your, yeah. what's normal in your yeah. breasts. Yeah. So it's just a knowing of if something went wrong, that it would be wrong. I knew 100% that I never had that lump there, but that, that lump was new because I would have noticed it. Yeah. But I wasn't checking for it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So I couldn't be sure how long it was even there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I was single at the time. I don't think anyone had grabbed my boobs. I don't know. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of people yeah. do find it through their partners, but lumps are found because their partners find it. Right. Mm. That's good. I suppose in some ways that's good, but in other ways you can be like, if you're in yeah. the heat at the moment, you'd be like, do you know what, babe? Like- yeah, some people are scared to say it, but I think it's a really positive thing. Yeah, it is. I did a lot of um, work with the Eva Pill, who are a gynecological cancer charity who I adore. And that's how you think boobs are taboo vaginas vulvas all of that jazz is much more taboo yeah but they say there's a guy and and he he rang up one day to get advice and he was just like right like i was like having sex with my wife and i felt something inside that didn't feel right and i don't know if i can tell her they had another guy call up and say she keeps bleeding after sex but she won't go to the doctor and it's so it's amazing because i'm like oh my god these men who are they i love them why are there more of you yeah because people just think it's not their business it's women's business it's not yeah. everyone's business and it? it is fear as well it's shame and fear those shame are two and fear. bad things so it's like shame around bodies and about mm. genitalia and all that kind mm. of stuff and then it's fear of what if it is yeah but surely the fear should be what if you don't treat it like we need to kind of switch the fear around yeah. to helping yourself rather than burying your head in the sand 100 percent, love i my whole thing is I know the idea of cancer is scary mm. and unfortunately, yeah, it does mean death in some cases. I've, I've unfortunately lost a lot of people in the last year to the disease. However, also there is life. My mum had cancer at 26. She's still very much alive and kicking. Wow. And loud she? and proud. Yeah, she had cervical cancer at 26. Wow. 
And that was a time where the treatments weren't great. And that was a time no. when no one talked about it. And she yeah. survived. I know so many people who have lived with and beyond cancer. And cancer is a disease you can live alongside as well. There's a lot mm. of people living with the disease and they will live. This is the thing that's changed now. Yeah. More people are getting diagnosed, but more people are living their lives with the disease. A lot of people die with cancer, not from. So mm. people would die with the cancer in their body, but never actually, that's not what they've died from. Mm. It's very interesting. There is a stat, but I don't know it well enough, so I'm not going to preach it, but... Yeah. Yeah. So you said you had chemo, obviously. Mm-hmm. What other treatments are included in that? I mean, I didn't even really know what chemo was. I imagined it being like radiotherapy, being like... Like, yeah. I was so ignorant to it. I didn't realise yeah. it was through, it's through a drip, isn't it's it? It's through a drip. Most of the time, you have it orally. Really? You can have it in tablet, yeah. Lower doses through tablets that you have as maintenance chemo, so you can have it ongoing. Really? Yeah. I know that there's lots of talk about, like, cannabis therapies and supportive therapies, and is yeah. that, like... To be honest with you... I don't know anything you, about this. Yeah, so no, just, you know. I, like, I did an eye roll there, guys. <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you... I didn't because my treatments were working. Yeah. So when I got diagnosed, you're taken into a room and told you've got cancer and they told you they think they can get rid of it, you do what the doctors say. Oh, absolutely. Western medicine is a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. and it works, Mm -hmm. right? It works. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So all of this, like the cannabis oil, there's stuff about apricot kernels, turmeric. This is all great stuff and it's really great for your immune system. However, supporting what's supportive, happening. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't ever say necessarily an alternative route is wise because there is no proof in the pudding. And trust me, if there was, like, we'd be yeah. using it. Yeah. Um, CBD is absolutely amazing for getting your appetite, helping you sleep. Mm-hmm. And there's actually studies to proving that your body takes to the drugs a lot better because your body's in a more relaxed state. When you wow, think, yeah. when you're producing cortisol, your body's resistance. at fight or flight. Yeah. So you're in resistance to the drugs. Whereas if you're in a more relaxed state, your body's more able to cope with the drugs that are going into the body. So there's a mm. lot of studies around that. But for me, my appetite was okay. Mm-hmm. I was wired, yeah, because of all the steroids. But I think, to be honest, I wasn't really thinking too much about anything. I was just trying to stay afloat. Yeah, of course. So I had CBD oils and stuff like that there, but I used to, like, take calms and stuff. Yeah. I was anxious and... Chemo is a hard thing, but there's also all the stuff that goes alongside it. So I never realised when I got diagnosed with cancer, I thought that was it. You went and you got told you had cancer. You got told you have cancer. Then you have further biopsies. Right. Then you get put in scanning machine after scanning machine after scanning machine. And you're just like, okay, okay, okay. And you're terrified because you're like, what are they doing? They're even looking the for thought- more cancer. Oh, God. Even and that's the thought of that doing. gives me anxiety. I'd never had an MRI or anything. No, I So haven't. it was a lot. Then like, the next day, to be told you have cancer, then go in and they're like, I was terrible with needles, putting a cannula in my hand. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And then in my head, I was very quickly like, mate, you're going to have to woman up because yeah. this is going to not go anywhere. Yeah. So you have to have scan after scan. I was very lucky that I was in a stage of my cancer diagnosis where I was able to freeze my eggs. Right. So yeah, chemo can make you infertile. Mm. My cancer is hormonally driven. So it means I now, as in, hence the hot flushes mm. that I get, I'm in medical menopause to prevent the cancer returning. Right. So I have ovarian suppression and I have estrogen suppression drugs that I take. So no periods? No periods at the moment, no. Is this um, going to be... I mean, I suppose you don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm on two drugs. I've come off one of them. I'm having a hormone holiday at the moment because it is that intense. It's, wow. I've had it, done it for a year and a half and literally I was like, the cancer's not broken me, but this is going to... People don't talk about how bad menopause is. It's horrific. I mean, I've had some fertility treatment in mm. the past and I had all sorts of hormones. Yeah. They impact every single area of your mm-hmm. life and you do not realise how much yeah. it affects you. Yeah, and that's even now when I think back, like... 
we know that hormones cause my cancer, but even just thinking about being on the pill and stuff like that, like I'll never go back on any hormonal contraceptive because mm. knowing how impactful hormones are in the body and the fact they can trigger that mutation, I'm like, no way. Yeah, and it's that's scary. it. And it's kind of like this little like side note, isn't it? I mean, mm. I don't know enough about it to be mm. able to kind of give Oh, me- there's a little percentage risk. I had my eggs frozen. Yeah. So that was a whole thing in itself. So I was being injected every day with hormones. I was basically going through IVF. Which is horrific. Which is a lot. Do you know yeah. what? I was actually right with that. Yeah. I was fine. But I think it's because I was going through so much anyway. And I didn't really take it seriously. Like, I was doing it as a process. Like, I was in the pub with my mates getting stabbed in the toilets with these hormonal needles. Yeah. Because I was like, I still need to live my life while I can. Yeah, but you also, have to. I want to freeze my eggs. Yeah. Yeah. So doing that. And then you've got... The chemo, but then alongside the chemo, you've got things like, and you have to have your heart monitored every three months because it can affect your heart function. Oh my God. You, um, your veins go. You don't realise like the drugs can cause hardening of the veins because of the friction of it going through your veins. So I got really bad pains in my arm. I couldn't even extend my arm at one point because they tightened so much. Oh my God. And um, I had a pick line feared, which is a central line where they put line in to the vein that leads to the top of your heart. And they put a little line into the top of your heart so it pumps the drugs around so it doesn't hit your veins. So it just this little wire, I called it Pete the Pick, just hang out <laughs> my arm and I have to shower with cling film around me. And you can get ports in your chest that do the same thing. They're called a Hickman line. After that, then there's like biopsy scans. While you're going through chemo, anytime you're ill, you're like in hospital because they have to make sure that you're not in any danger. Mm. I was neutropenic, which is where your neutrophils, your white blood count drops like to dangerous levels. So normal humans, 2.5 should be your neutrophil count minimum. Mine was 0.06 when I went in one day. Oh my God. So I was any cold, any cough, anything could have done me in. So I was picking Your quarantine. Your system's completely suppressed, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So it's all these things you don't realise. And like, mm. you know, where people talk about, even if I know I've got to go to the hospital for anything, or if I know I'm going to see one of my cancer friends and they're in treatment, I will not see them if I've got a cough or a cold because I know how bad it is. Yeah. Like people will come around and see you and I'll be like, don't come if you're sick. And then they turn up and I can see they're sniffing and I'm like, you've got a cold. They're like, no, no, it's on its way out. I'm like, oh man, like, <laughs> yeah. you're pretty, it's selfish, you know? Yeah. Like I'm very ill. So that was all stuff I had no idea about. Also, I had no idea. And you know, you lose your hair on your head. Mm. Well, you lose your hair everywhere, mate. That was actually one of my questions. Everywhere. Literally. You are like a newborn. You're like, I always feel like a dolphin. <laughs> oh, my God. I just like, like a little dolphin. My friend Alice, who had breast cancer, she's one of the first cancer friends I made on the internet. Mm. And she said to me, make this smooth and then this chemo smooth. <laughs> Honestly, like... But the same day that my hair started falling out, my pubes started falling out. Oh, my God. And I was that weird person. Like, honestly, if someone had walked in the room, they thought I'd be having a lovely time with myself because I was just kept wiping down. <laughs> like, like, when I was in the toilet, just watching them all fall out. I was fascinated. I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Um, like, yeah, just, it all falls out. But then also, so does your nose hair. So so I, you can't stop any, like, on the tube when you get nah. all the, like, you know, when you get off the tube and you've got... I've actually got nose, a video. You've got, like, black tissue. I've actually got a video on my phone. It's really funny. I was in an Instagram video. It was when I started, was in early stage recovery. My hair started to grow back, but my nose hair took ages. And <laughs> honestly, I'm walking down the street and I'm doing this Instagram video and I said something. And as I turn my head away from the camera, snot flies out of my nose across the screen. And I'm just like, this is my life. I used to get out of bed and it should fall on the floor. Some people go, what, should I get some? And I'm like, getting really nice hankies and tissues because they're going to be snotting everywhere. But this is it. Do you know what, though? Your attitude towards it and your humour mm. is amazing. Mm. Like, and it just makes it less scary. 
Like in amongst mm. everything you've said about all of these things your body has been yeah. through and all these experiences yeah. you've had, you're still like, you know what, get him some dishes because there's going to be bogeys everywhere. Yeah. Like, because it's real. It's not like yeah. you watch stuff on TV and you feel so far removed mm. from it. Like, the reality is your pubes fall yeah. out. You're going to not have any nose yeah. hair to stop your bogeys coming out. Like, yeah. those are the little realities that make it feel less terrifying. Yeah, I think that's the important thing. Like, I'm not taking away or minimalising it, but the no. experience because it's bloody intense and it's scary however my way of coping is to actually see the light in the dark yeah and it's the same with anything really like when you think about childbirth the trauma that is childbirth like let's make it right yeah i know women do it every day but it's traumatic i've been at both my sister's births she's a powerhouse and watching her do that has really like made me calmer about giving birth not mm. because it looks easy but because i know what my body's capable of yeah but it's a massive shock to the body and it's a massive experience what your body's doing mm. but People laugh and joke about it. They talk about it openly. And it makes it a less scary thing for any other woman going in to do that. Mm. And I feel that's the most important thing. And that's what I've tried to do with Girl Burst Cancer is just be like, this is what cancer is like through my eyes. Yeah. And it seems to be relevant to a lot of other girls. Yeah. It's helping. And it's just demystifying what that looks like a little bit. Exactly. And I wish I'd had that when I was sick. Yeah. I didn't really. Yeah. I I had one friend and she was like three years clear so she remembered, but only slightly, but also very, had different drugs to me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was very different. So that is really where it came from, is that you just wanted to be able to normalise mm. and share your experience in not scary doctor terms, like yeah. the reality of living with cancer. Yeah, but through my eyes. Like, I'm yeah. an Instagram girl. I've done social media for, like, five years. I've always yeah. worked in digital marketing. I love taking a picture. I've had about seven blogs. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. And that was never going to change because I had cancer. That was yeah. never going to change. And I was like... Without sounding really, I'm going to say wanky. Sorry, guys, swearing. <laughs> but I wanted to make show cancer editorially. I didn't want people to look at it like, here's me smiling in a chemo chair. Everything's fine because that's not how yeah. it always is. But I wanted yeah. to show some really beautiful imagery with really lovely captions alongside it to people to understand the day in, day out of a cancer diagnosis and what that looks like for me. Mm. It's not for everyone. You know, this no. is very much my experience. Yeah. And that's what I'm proud of it doing. And do you know what? In doing that, it's just made it palatable for people and people actually want to read it and listen and yeah. see it. Yeah. Because it's not scary. Yeah. And even know? if it's not your diagnosis, everyone has someone that they know that has either had cancer or they've lost from cancer or what's the statistics like one in two one in two will have cancer in your lifetime yeah yeah so making it something that actually is something that we can talk about i mean it's something that you've done amazingly well thank you you. i'm really proud of it yeah like it does have its repercussions you know it is hard to switch off i live in cancer world a lot of the time it's been three years and it's very much my everyday life Mm. But I'm like, I know this is my purpose and I know this is the reason why I got this gob and I've got like the network I have and and I'm doing these things. And the reason why it's doing the things it's doing is because I was meant to be doing this. So Mm. now I've started, I would find it very hard to walk away from this and go, I'm done. I want to try and help people as much as I can. Future Laurens who get diagnosed, just know where to go. And I hope Girl Birth Cancer is that place. And then I can signpost them to all the other places that I found helpful, the charities and all of like the information or like services that they might need mm. because I couldn't, I didn't have that. I really no. didn't. So it's, I want to be able to give that to someone else. So what is the future? So obviously you've got your podcast, mm. you've got Instagram. Are you working with other charities as well? I know you've mentioned a couple already. Yeah. So the way Girl vs Cancer works is I am not a charity. Mm-hmm. I, what I'm saying is like a fundraising community. So right. I 
yeah, you've met me. I think I'm quite chatty, Kathy. I get yeah. on with loads of people. I feel people feel comfortable talking to me, but also I get a lot of people asking me, do I know someone who they can put, I can put them in contact with? I'm quite good at facilitating. I'm really good mm. at being a middle person. I've introduced a lot of people since I've been ill who are now off doing like their own things or have mm. made great friendships. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. But in doing that, I want to raise awareness of the charities that are fairly small that have helped me mm. because I just thought by being another charity in the mix, it's just another charity in the mix that's going to take yeah. money from other causes. So there were charities that really were lifelines to me. So the way Girl vs Cancer is set up is that it's an Instagram account, it's mm-hmm. on a website, and it's got all my blog posts on it. Mm. It's also got an online store that sells tit tees. Yeah, I've seen them, love yeah. them. Yeah. So yeah. the whole point is they're a conversation starter. When people wear the t-shirts, someone goes, I really like your top. They'll go, oh, thank you, it's Girl vs Cancer. And they tell the story and they yeah. say, have you checked your breasts? That's the whole point. And it's doing that, which is great. But also it raises money for charities I support, which are Copperfield, yeah. which is a young adults breast cancer charity. I've done some work with Copperfield. They yeah, they're really and good. Chris, who runs it, is my hero in yeah. life for everything. She's unbelievable. 10 <laughs> years now, 10 years she's been going with stage four cancer and also 10 years since that charity was founded. Wow. Un- yeah, unbelievable. And she's just launched a collaboration with Vans, which is so cool. I cannot even go over it. Yeah. Um, then there's Trexlock, which is a young adult cancer charity. So it's support for young adults in their 20s and 30s. So anything from meeting people in their 20s and 30s to advice on dating and relationships to getting back into exercise. I mean, on a personal level, the team there have been like personal support to me. Mm. Jemima, who is their like nurse specialist and health specialist there, She's always checking in. She's like, you're doing too much. She's always one to pull me back in because I, I run at 100 and, and they genuinely care and they have been a bedrock. Mm. I also support Look Good, Feel Better. Yeah. So Look Good, Feel Better are wellness and confidence, I say, charity. They're completely funded by donation, no government-based and they're for men and women. And I went to one of their sessions when I was in chemo and I had big rashes all over my face and I just basically went into hiding whenever yeah. that happened. I didn't want to see anyone. I, people would double take because I looked like scales. It was a lot. And I went there and we did a makeup session. They showed me how to put stuff on that wouldn't irritate my skin. That would help cover the rash a little bit. They made me feel like me. And that's what they do. They do makeup sessions, skincare sessions. For men, they do body image sessions. And they just help you to retain a sense of yourself. Yeah. And help you to look good, to feel better in your body while you're going through such... Which is so key because, you, like you said yourself, Mm. you know, you look in the mirror and you're like... Yeah. You feel like a different person. Mm. It's invaluable. Yeah. So I support them. And, like, literally every £75 I give is a position on a session. So I love that. Mm. And then the last one I support is Future Dreams. And Future Dreams are a charity that kind of umbrellas two of my favorite charities mm-hmm. that i work with as well so there's a the breast cancer haven mm-hmm. who are a free service for women going through cancer treatment they offer holistic treatments they offer nutritional treatments yoga like they do financial support wow yeah all for free yeah so future dreams to fundraise for them but then they also fundraise for breast cancer now which is cancer research basically yeah. breast cancer research so between the four of them i've kind of got all bases covered yeah and what i do is i sell the t-shirts for 25 percent that goes split between those four yeah i've done some t-shirts with miss selfridge i've done some stuff with patty and bun the burger company oh yeah Love so patty like, and bun. yeah, we're, yeah we're launching i did that. see that on your instagram not gonna lie i was burger like burger nips t-shirts coming out burger yeah. <laughs> and we've done a burger special called the rack and i've worked with a wonderful illustrator called babes doing bits and she has drawn up a breast checking guide but it's like burgers Wicked. It's, it's so cool and it's these things that really keep me going it's turning mm. my really dark terrifying experience into something that makes me want to get out of bed in the morning yeah and i almost feel like by living in it every day as much as it's quite confronting at times and i probably do need a bit of a break it helps me to process my trauma yeah and once you've been through a cancer diagnosis it's very hard just to sit back and go 
that never happened. Yeah. It changes your whole life. You're literally, I was like, all my questions, you're just answering them easily for me. (laughs) So what was the original plan? Because obviously you're doing this amazing stuff, Mm. but you said, so you were already doing social, you're already doing marketing. So it was using the skills that you had and now you're just channeling them into a really good, positive... Babe, literally, that is it. There was no plan. I still haven't done a business plan. I'm only doing one now, two years down the line. Because yeah. this was never the plan. Yeah. I didn't know what the plan was. Okay. I mean, you were so young, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So I've always worked in social media mm-hmm. and digital marketing. I love it. Mm-hmm. I've worked in every arm of digital marketing you can think of, from CRM to like PPC, SEO, emails, everything. I've done it. And, but I mm-hmm. found my niche with social media. So basically, my background is I went to college. Mm-hmm first person in my family to go to university amazing what did you do college i studied english language mm-hmm. media studies which i loved yeah and what else did i do there oh god i can't remember it's all right so bad didn't it? it's a long time ago though yeah, yeah. I, am on, I am getting on but i really love media studies yeah so i was like right i'm gonna do that at uni and i went off to at uni and when as soon as i got there i did it i went to kingston uni and I did that and oh, philosophy. i love kingston yeah but i, was, I did that in philosophy and i was like after about three months i was like one what am I going to do with this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And two, I'm actually not enjoying it like I thought I would. Mm-hmm. And it was a really scary moment for me because I was like, I've worked so hard my whole life yeah. to get to university. I'm the first person in my family to do it. It weren't mm-hmm. easy. You've got to think of all the stuff I went through at college to even yeah. get into a degree. Yeah. I was like, I can't do it. And it took me a really long time, but I dropped out after six months. Well, do you know what? Though? There is a power in recognising what mm. you're capable of and what, you're going to enjoy it. And if you mm. just be forcing yourself to be there to go through the motions. That's what I was doing. And I yeah. really did. But I was working at Topshop at the time. Mm. So I was working at Topshop. It was their High Street Kensington store. They'd just opened. Yeah. Now it's closed down. Madness. It was a nice store. Though. It was a lovely yeah. store. It was only us and Oxford Street at the time. It yeah. was before Westfields had opened. It was before Knightsbridge had opened. So it was just us two were the big ones. And I worked there for five and a half years in the end. But mm. I worked there and I really loved it. And I loved talking to people every day. I loved meeting the customers, helping mm. them with stuff. I loved the fashion. I just loved running around, communication, being with staff. I loved being in the retail environment. Mm. I'd worked in like a pharmacy and I'd worked at a football club flipping burgers when I was 15. You do what you have to do. I needed yeah. to buy my night TNs, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, my mum would give me money for them. <laughs> so I had to find my way. And, and, and I being in Topshop was the first time I was in a job that I was like, oh my God, I love doing this. I love mm. coming into work on a Saturday. So when I dropped out, after a few months, I really thought about it. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to try and do a course in fashion. Mm. Fashion retail. Mm. I was like, fashion, because I never thought of myself as a creative. For me, creatives were people who wore harem pants and were called Sunbeam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I almost feel like I tried to force myself into like English and maths and stuff because I never saw myself as a creative person. Mm. It's so weird now because I always struggled with maths and stuff. Yeah. I thought that I had to be good at them. You have this idea of what you should be doing, don't you? Do. And you have this idea of like, if I can do maths and English, then yeah. I'll get a good job. I mean, I was terrible at maths, mm. you know, still yeah. not good at maths. Yeah, like, numbers scares me, numbers scare me. I don't feel confident in them. I mean, I'm probably yeah. right, but I don't feel confident. And I went off and did a course at LCF, London College yeah. Fashion, for access to fashion business. So mm-hmm. it was a one-year course, and it was every arm of fashion. It was fashion management, fashion retail, fashion finance, fashion design, fashion marketing, fashion PR, everything. Mm. And when I did that course, I started doing fashion marketing, and we had to do a business plan. We had to create our own brand. And that was the moment I went, I like this. Yeah. I like marketing. This is for me. Yeah. And then I work my bum off. So I come from working class family, born and raised in Fulham before Fulham was posh, trust me. <laughs> or yeah. posh, but not like it is now. Born and raised there, went to the local comprehensive school, which almost got shut down twice. Oh my no, God. It 
me and my family, my mum and dad put into me, you get your education. Yeah. So my mum had me at 21. So she had a GCSEs or O-levels as they were, but she never went on to college or further education. Yeah, 21's like, young. It is young. Yeah. And I think my mum always drummed that into me, like just get your A-levels and then you can do what you want with your life because mm. you can go to uni at any point, no matter what. Yeah, that's true. So that's what I always had in my mind mm-hmm. was to get there. And then when I went to... London College of Fashion, you can imagine you're around a lot of moneyed people. You're around a lot of people. I went to LCF, yeah. yeah. I know exactly what it's like. Yeah. So you've got people who've paid for their education privately, which is very expensive. You've yeah. got people who've had private education, so like they've and they've they know people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I remember going into my group interview and everyone be talking about, oh yeah, and Dolce did this and did it. And I was like, Well in Topshop, yeah. <laughs> I got on the course and none of the others did. Yeah. I had relatable commercial yeah. fashion experience. Yeah. And when I was on that course, basically I was really stressed because I really wanted to do well and I knew this is what I wanted to do and Mm. my year tutor Via Via Vilsin I'll never forget her she had probably I'm replicating her with my short haircut now (laughs) but she was a force and she taught us cultural studies within fashion so yeah all the influence comes from which is really Mm. good and she basically pulled me to an office one day and she was like I could see you're really stressed out about everything she's like I need to tell you this now I've put you forward for a dean's recommendation it means that if you get 100 credits, like 100% yeah. in, your, in your studies on this course, you will get walk into your degree of choice. Yeah. I would never have passed the exam for fashion marketing. Never. It was really like numbers heavy. Mm. And I worked like I've never worked before in my entire life. And I got 100% credit and I got into my degree in undergraduate fashion. Amazing. So I did it. Yeah. So, so you've got that determination. Yeah. When I really care about something. That drive and that determination. Yeah. So I've done digital marketing for years. When I've been doing social media, it was on the cusp of the influencer thing. Mm-hmm. So when all the influencer marketing started coming to the forefront, I was kind of there. Mm. I was the one with like the cameraman from our e-commerce shoots, like trying to do like YouTube videos down the street, like yeah, yeah. trying to make content happen. And like loads of like the massive bloggers now, like Emma Hill, Hannah Krosky, like all those girls are girls that I worked with mm. when they had like 20,000 followers. Yeah. So it's really nice now to have grown and see where they are yeah so when i got sick i already did social media i already blogged yeah i already had a network of women who supported me and who had massive followings yeah and i'm not a silly girl i was like if i'm gonna get this message out there to check your breasts i need to get all of these girls involved yeah because it's their audiences that need to hear it mm. and no one else is doing it it was all like little random bits here and there mm-hmm. you know like a charity work with a certain person but it never really packed a punch because it always felt like sponsored or whatever yeah everyone who does my shoots no one is paid everyone get, donates mm. their time and their social media followings to this mm. and it just felt the most natural thing to do and mm. i just had the idea i think it was a coping mechanism i knew straight away that i was gonna talk about it openly because mm. i am a sharer but some people literally go in and hide. Yeah, It's fine. how you process, you know, and it's completely unique. It's completely your journey and your take mm-hmm. on it. But I think it is, there is such a power in having a message and sharing yeah. it. And you might not hear from someone, but you will, you know you'll make an impact. You must yeah. get some amazing feedback from people. All the time. Yeah. Like, it's overwhelming. I like, I can't get back to most of the messages I get. Like, you know, in your Instagram folder, you've got like the message requests and it's always at 99 plus. I can't get through them. And I don't try now. I'm like, I can't do that to myself. Yeah. But I always support where I can. And if I can't, I signpost. That's what, it's not even about me. I don't no. care where they find the support. As long as they find the support, don't yeah. care where it is. Yeah. If it's me, wonderful. I'll be there. But if it's somewhere else, if I can direct them to, or that's all that matters. But Girl Burst Cancer was literally because of that need. And 
my only thing was this when I first started talking about it is I didn't want anyone to think that they knew what I was going through or have mm. a perception because I knew when I got sick what I thought cancer was and I would have been that person head tilt pity and look I would have done that and I yeah. wasn't having that for myself yeah and I'm like the only way I can stop that happening is to show people what I'm going through through my eyes mm. and my tone of voice because I ain't ever going to be that person in the bit sick bed yeah looking forlorn and sad that's yeah. not me and also I couldn't be because the minute I let myself be that person I would go in a downward hill spiral mm. you know but then also I had the idea for the T-shirts like literally the next day and I have friends that work in fashion. I have 500 quid saving in the bank and the rest was history. I got 500 T-shirts for a pound each. Amazing. So I was like, right, I'll just do it. And it just took a few months for it to actually start trickling through. Yeah. And I went back to work after I'd finished my treatment. I went back to my old job and yeah. I honestly thought I'd just go back into things and do this as a side hustle. The main thing is... What has changed in your perception? I mean, obviously it'll be complete night and day, but there are loads of misconceptions about cancer. Which are some that you'd like to just squash right now? I think one thing is you're not a victim. Yeah. I think the way people talk about cancer is like, oh, you're a victim and you're a suffering. And the thing is with me, you choose to suffer. Yeah. We're all going to go through stuff in life, but you choose to suffer with Mm. anything. And the misconception is like for me, when you get cancer, you're bedridden, you're, you just kind of can't do anything. I was still very much me. When I was in my good weeks of my treatments, I was out with my friends having a couple of glasses, not like I used to, yeah. but a glass of Prosecco. It was fine. Going to the cinema, going to exhibitions, seeing my family and friends. Another thing is what I would like for people to realise is the worst thing you can do for a cancer patient is to walk away from them. Yeah. Because a lot of people do that. They can't handle your diagnosis, so they step back. But actually what it does is it you already feel like you're losing part of yourself because you do become quite insular at times because you, yeah. you can't do the things that other people are doing. And it is tough, but you need your team. Mm. You know, for someone to ring you up and go, obviously not what are you doing Saturday because you're probably ill but say if you're not busy on Saturday do you want me to come around should, should we go cinema or should I bring around pizza should I become ill should we do a pamper party things like that meant the world to me mm. more than anything because it's like I'm still mean you still want to spend time with me even though I can't do the things you want to do yeah so for someone to give up a Saturday when they could be out on the razz because they want to sit in with me and catch up with me and keep me being me that is such a lovely gift so just to keep that so you're not like because you, it's, it's, it's you. an isolating thing because you're going through your friends can't even yeah. meet you halfway with trying to comprehend what it must be like. Exactly. And my whole thing, the whole way through, and this is what I say, and I say it to everyone, I have cancer or had. Cancer never had me. Yeah. So I had a disease. It didn't own me. Yeah. So I'm still me. I'm yeah. just sick for a bit. And I need you guys to back me. And I need you to be supportive of all the things I'm going through. Because I'm up and down like a yo-yo. You're going to be. Mm. I think the other thing to remember as well, not every cancer patient loses their hair. Yeah. And also... This needs to be quashed. When the cancer dies and goes and gets out of your body, if it does, you don't just get over it. It's not just flick a switch, I'm done, cancer's over, I'm done with cancer. That's not how cancer works. It changes you forever. Mm. So people around you need to understand that and be quite supportive and, you know, go with you on this path and this journey because you are coming back to an an altered version of yourself. You're still you, but you see things very differently. So for people just to think, oh, you're cancer-free now, like you're fine, no. That's not mm. how it works. So I think that's something really important for people to remember as well, to be kind of compassionate. Yeah. yeah. So one of my questions is, how do you pick yourself up after a bad day? Because I know that obviously you are limited. Like you say, you can't go out on the piss with your mates. Yeah. What your like go-to is to be like, this is a thing that I know will help. I used to walk around the park behind my mum's house. There's mm. a little park. And if I was having a really bad day and you get cabin fever, I would honestly get up and go for a walk. And if I'm honest, the other thing was girl birth cancer. Yeah. Getting up and having a reason. 
that wasn't cancer just to get through the day. Like there was days where I'd wake up and be like, I just want it to be night time for this day to be over. Like mm. you just don't want to have to go through that whole process again. Especially when you get into the cycle of your side effects, you know what's coming. Yeah. You know day five's going to be like this. You know day six is going to be like this. And you're like dreading it. Girl vs. Cancer was great for me. Having visitors and something to look forward to was great. But also getting out of the house and being in nature, mm. having fresh air, feeling human, feeling the wind on your body, like stuff like that really helped me. And obviously an aromatherapy bath. There's nothing that some essential oils in a lovely warm water and laying in that for a bit with some candles will not fix. It was Aww. my favourite. It was my nighttime ritual every day. I feel like I just want that in my life anyway. It's nice bath, Even bit of now. essential oils, yeah. Even now, if I'm stressed or anything, I'm like, essential oils, get in the bath, turn the lights off, read a book or put like candles on and just be. It talks me out, calms me down. Amazing. So obviously you're doing all this amazing stuff. You said you're only just now putting together a business plan. Mm. What is the future of Girl vs. Cancer? Oh, honestly, the ideas. My mates laugh at me because I'm constantly spitting out ideas and they're like, just breathe and slow down. Yeah. I've only just started building a business plan because it's been very tough for me to kind of accept the fact that maybe I've got a future now. I'm almost too scared to think about that and kind of see the future for me again. So this is a massive process, building this business plan and actually planning for a future. It's, it's a lot. My plan for Girl vs. Cancer is I'm still very much a one-woman show. Mm-hmm. My immediate plan is to get space, yeah, an office and a small team. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to facilitate community a lot more. So I want to be able to put people in contact, do meetups, do girl events. versus cancer events. Yeah, like girl versus garage is obviously going to happen. I'm going to do a massive <laughs> garage race. Oh my god, I literally live for garage. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, but that's what I mean. It's not. It doesn't have to be like a sad, like you say. or a T and K thing. You know, we can raise money by getting low. Yeah, um, and shacking <laughs> out a little bit two step. So <laughs> I've got ideas to do that. The other thing that I'm really keen to do is obviously expand the product range. Yeah. There's a lot more that can be done and a lot more collaborations, but I can't mm. do them yeah. on my own. It's um, hours in the day, isn't it? It is. And I want the website to really become a hub of information. I want a lot more stuff on there. Mm. I want people to be able to click on a tab that says chemo and it'd be like my tone of voice, key tips for chemo, and then give you signposting to go to other places for like the medical stuff and the stuff yeah. you need to know. I just want to be the initial summary, bite-sized chunks in the way I talk. Yeah, in a personable, like, you know, from a friend, advice from a friend rather than advice from a doctor is worlds apart. They're not going to be like, by the way, babes, you're not going to have any pubes. Yeah. That's just, you know, like it wouldn't occur to them. But I would never have even thought of that, you know. And there there is so much scope. And like, Mm. I want to be able to work with like bigger bodies. I'm already like talk with Cancer Research UK. I want to do stuff. And I just feel like, if I'm able to do this on my own and get to this point, when I've got headspace and I can step back and do bigger picture stuff and go and meet and do other things and have a team to support me, girl vs. cancer, I really do feel like it's going to change a lot of people's lives for the better. So I'm just really like, can't get there quick enough. Yeah, I'm chomping at the bit, but we will get there. And I think it will, I just want to support people who need it. That's all I want to do is destigmatize the disease and support people in a way that's relevant. And dare I say it, cool. Whoever yeah. thought you'd use the world cool with cancer, but yeah. It can be cool. fun and cool. You're showing that it can be cool. And I think you're doing so much stuff that's really inspirational. It's been so lovely to meet you. you. Really Thank loved you. having you here. And I feel like I've learned so much in the space of 40 minutes. Well, I do talk fast, so you've yeah. got a lot into 40 minutes. You've sure. packed in the information, ba, 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 babe. Ba, ba, but no, and it's so important. So thank you so much for Can being. I say one more thing before I go? Yes. Check your boobs. Thank you very much. <laughs> check your boobs. And if you don't know how to check them, go to copperfield.org. 
yeah, Copperfield. They got the stickers up in the windows. Yeah, Madonna even posted about Copperfield. They're she doing did. some amazing stuff. Yeah, you got your boob check one hundred and one on there. Please go on there. Please make a breast examination part of your self care. You are not checking for cancer. You were just knowing you're normal. No, you're Mic normal. drop. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to After Hours by Astrid and Mew. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. See you next week.